Hi, it's Bill Prentice, Meridian Energy Group. A couple things to talk about today. Thank you for joining us here on the crude life programs that we have. Let's just start off, first of all, by maybe getting an update. You know, we've covered this project for a few years. It seems like it's finally here, and I just want to make sure that it is here. So let's just kind of remind our listeners kind of some of the latest and greatest things. The reason why we're covering this is because I believe it's going to be read about in history class. And the reason I think it's going to be read about in history class is because the shale play, the shale boom that's going on right now is revolutionizing the planet on many levels. One of the levels is the innovation of environmental energy technology. And the Davis refinery out in the Bakken is one of those that is leading the way. And that's why we've been covering it every single week with the crude life because it's setting the global standard. Now, we're going to get into this in just a second here, but recently the Davis Refineries spearhead company, the parent company, Meridian Energy Group, announced a refinery down in the Permian. So let's start off by talking about, so how are you guys saving the planet these days? <laughs> uh, yeah, Jason, thank you. Um, well, you know, that you mentioned the shale revolution. It's changed the industry, uh, and not just in the United States, the entire world. Um, quite frankly, in the United States, the refining industry doesn't know what to do with all this crude oil. It's kind of used to sipping out of tankers along the coast for the last five or six or decades and uh, doesn't know what to do with it. Um, also, we're kind of tired of seeing pollution from major industrial plants. So when we got started on the Davis refinery, uh, we decided to do something quite a bit different. Uh, when we filed for our permits uh, as a full conversion refinery as a minor source, uh, oil and gas journal called it historic so uh, i'm glad you also believe it's going to be part of the history books and we're committed to making it historic <clears throat> what we're doing is we're cheating uh, we're starting with a blank sheet of paper uh, we're designing a refinery that uh, is geared to saving every hydrocarbon it can from becoming pollution and becoming part of our finished products uh, when, you know, refineries were being designed 100 years ago, uh, crude was dirt cheap, so it wasn't really worth it. Nobody really thought about pollution back then. But when I see something that could give rise to an escaped hydrocarbon, I see dollars and cents floating away. We're not going to do that. Um, the refinery we're building in <clears throat> North Dakota is designed only to run on Bakken oil. And when you design a project to run on a single crude oil, you don't have to design a lot of uh, what, what the refiner industry calls complexity into it. In other words, you don't put excess iron on the ground and, and have to heat it up all the time. And it's just only the equipment you need for that particular crude oil. And Bakken oil is probably the, the best oil to refine on the planet. You could argue that Saudi light was a little bit easier to process, but I really don't think so. Um, so we're starting out, you know, as I said earlier, by cheating. We're building a single-purpose refinery, very, very highly efficient refinery from a capital and a material point of view, and it's going to be much, much cleaner because we're going to integrate into the design and have integrated into the design the latest uh, you know, 
know, technological innovations from the last 40, 50 years. Um, and you mentioned uh, the Permian. Um, West Texas crude, in many respects, is very similar to Bakken oil. Um, and so we're going to replicate the Davis refinery down there and, uh, and introduce Texas to a new kind of refinery as well. Now, that is called um, the Walton Station Refinery, correct, down in the Permian? Yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the area that this refinery is going to be located in, uh, just north of Kermit, Texas, is an area that's been ranched by the Walton family for generations. Not, not the Walton family from the TV. Huh. And, and there used to be a stage uh, line that ran through it, and a stage station was at the ranch house. So they asked us if we would uh, mind calling it Walton Station and agreed that'd be a great name for the project. So, yeah, and um, so correct me if I'm wrong, though, because the thing that we've been talking about in this program is that, you know, the one thing that's really cool about what you guys are doing is you're going to set the global standard when it comes to refineries. The part that, you know, some people might maybe kind of rib you guys a little bit is that, well, by default, then you're going to be the global standard because you're the first people to do it in 50 years. Uh, is that going to roll over into the Permian? Is that kind of the idea here that that same similar technology, you touched on it a little bit with the um, similar crude oil, but is it just from a 5,000 foot view, that's what we're talking about, right? Taking that technology, bringing it down to the Permian? Yeah, we've, uh, we've essentially integrated all of this new technology into a new kind of refinery. Uh, and that's our, that's our trade secret. That's our secret sauce. Uh, this exact same design with slight modifications because, you know, the uh, West Texas crude has a slightly higher sulfur content, so we have to do something uh, different on that score. But other than that, it's the same deal. It will also be permitted as a synthetic minor source, and uh, there's no reason why we can't do this in every shale basin in the U.S., is that kind of the idea? You know, I mean, I'm not saying that's on your business plan, but is that kind of, you know, the... Maybe after hours talk is, you know, ideally we'd like to do this in every show play? Well, you know what? It's, it's what we have to do. Uh, we've decided that we're going to be an industry game changer. Uh, we're disruptive by nature, and the way you do that is by showing up uninvited and doing what you do. So that's our, that's our, our strategy is to do this throughout the United States and take the Davis uh, refinery, if you will, on a roadshow. Um, you know, and, and a lot of investors in our company are North Dakota residents. And, you know, it took us a long time to get our permits. It took us longer than we, we thought it would. Uh, we had to invest a lot of money in engineering to get those permits done, more so than any other refiner has ever had to do. So we're going to get that money back for our investors by doing this over and over again. Well, I was going to ask you about that because, you know, you guys have won every appeal that I can think of, and there's been a number of them, and some of them have just been outrageous, but I get it. You know, people know how to work the system, and there are some organizations that try to bleed people with their resources because they can. They can use the state as a tool as opposed to, you know, something positive, Um and I mean that by the, I'm, what I'm talking about, folks, is I'm not taking a shot here. I'm just saying when you have 11,000 response letters and 95% of them 
are copy and pasted from a special interest group, that's just, that's, that's wasting everybody's time. And you guys continue to win your, your appeals. Um, just kind of talk to me a little bit about that. You know, are you guys okay with all that? I mean, it's obvious they were trying to stymie production and you guys were patient along the way. And it's kind of hard being in the oil and gas industry because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So, I mean, how, how did you guys deal with the last couple of years? Because you're right, it took longer than anticipated. Yeah, it's, it's been very frustrating because, you know, we expect people to look at us and see guys that are trying to do the right thing and, and guys and gals trying to do the right thing, um, which we are. Uh, we don't think we get credit for that a lot. Um, we can't fault anybody for for asking the questions that they ask or for participating in the permit process to the extent that they do. That's their right. And it's up to us to be willing to answer those questions and deal with those objections, uh, which we've always done. Now, I think that the fact that we've been winning in court every time we get challenged is, is something that uh, speaks highly of the amount of work we did um, the fact that we put so much into designing this project properly, uh, that we put so much time into understanding the law, and are able to do something that nobody's been done, that nobody's been able to do before. Um, you know, the latest uh, set of court challenges, you know, and I, I get lectured all the time on not commenting on, uh, on legal stuff, but, I mean, just reading through the recent appeal, um, there are factual uh, statements in there that are just simply not true that have been proven to be untrue uh, for the last several iterations. And it's like uh, people just don't give us any credit and they don't listen or, or learn from the previous proceedings. So it's very frustrating to us, but we understand that the process is what it is and, and they have the right to participate. And we'll continue to, to meet those objections as they arise. I've talked to the Department of Health a few times. Um, William Prentice, CEO of Meridian Energy Group with us, talking about Davis Refinery in the Bakken and also the Walton Refinery, which they're in the preparation phases there. But the Department of Health up in the Bakken, North Dakota, they've, they've expressed confidence, the fact that it's passed, and it seems to me like they're behind this project. Um, is that playing into this at all? I mean, you know, is, as far as putting the permit to its accuracy with some of these people that are maybe still questioning it? Well, yeah, the, the relationship with the Department of Health is, is really important here. Um, when we first filed the air quality permit application for Davis back in October of 2016, um, uh, this had never been done before. Uh, they thought we were crazy. Uh, we spent a good solid year just explaining how this worked and why we were not crazy and why all of this technology was in fact proven and could be applied to this refinery. Uh, during the process, the uh, Department of Health, you know, they were, they were understandably nervous because of the whole DAPL thing, you know, the demonstrations on the DAPL pipeline. So they expected this to be equally contentious. And to a certain extent, they were right. Uh, and they put us through a very rigorous process. They even pulled the EPA in 
uh, EPA was not part of the legal process, but EPA is very, you know, has a good staff and a lot of knowledge about this kind of engineering. So they got involved too. And gradually we were able to show that this was achievable. Um, and that not only that, but it was the right way to do a refinery from now on. Uh, and I think understandably the Department of Health is, uh, is proud of the result. Um, by the way, I should mention that as a result of that interaction, we changed the, the process. We actually improved the process and we reduced the, the uh, emissions that we were applying for during the process. So the project became cleaner as a result of the Department of Health's involvement. And I think they're proud of that and they should be. One of the other things that I know has come up from time to time is the location. And I've been following this pretty much from day one. And my understanding is that the zoning and conditional use permit has been issued. Um, the Billings County Board of Commissioners are on board with this. And those are the ones that are there locally. And so I understand, you know, some of the other groups, when they pull out a Google map and a few other things, they can they can look. But is that put to bed? Is that is that at all in, in what's going on there, I guess, you know, as far as that location part? Because I thought that was already put to rest. Well, it is. Um, you know, there are two kinds of permits. There are land use permits um, and environmental permits. We've been we get a lot of press about the air quality thing, and that's uh, that's important, of course. But you know, that's one of the things we have to do to build a project. And in fact, our conditional use permit from the county of Billings uh, specified that, that it was only valid if we go out and get all the other permits needed, including the air quality permit. But when you go through the land use process, uh, you're essentially proving to the local agencies that the site you've selected is appropriate for the use that you are trying to establish there, in this case, a refinery. And that's, you know, why they call it a conditional use permit. If you satisfy them that it's a good use for that property and you agree to certain conditions, then you have the right to build your plant there. And that's what we did with the uh, Billings County um, Board of Commissioners. And that permit was granted in July of 2016. And we had the right to put the refinery on that site and during that process, uh, we went through all of the things that you typically have to. And in our case, we adopted as a standard all of the uh, issues that you have to look at and things you have to satisfy if you were going to put a project in California, which has by far the most rigorous interpretation of those laws. So we did that through the county and uh, including, you know, at the time there was a lot of concern about visual impact from uh, Teddy Roosevelt Park. So we did a lot of line of sight studies and proved pretty conclusively that you cannot, will not see the refinery from the park. Um, you know, that was a pretty uh, contentious subject in and of itself. Uh, and since then, uh, there's been, you know, there have been some people who oppose the refinery that say that we should subject ourselves to a, a siting process through the Public Service Commission. Uh, we do not apply for jurisdiction by the, uh, the Public Service Commission. We're, we're just under their threshold. Uh, 
it's already something we've dealt with at the county level, so we don't see the need or or think it's advisable for the POC to get involved in this entire project. Uh, if we have to, if we decide that we want to expand the project later on, uh, we'll probably have to go to the Public Ser Service Commission to get that done. But right now, everything's been done. All of the land use permits, all of the environmental permits. Uh, have been received and the project is going to get built, period. Well, that brings me up to why I'm even seeing some of these headlines from time to time because, you know, I'll be honest, I got rid of my TV over 10 years ago, so I haven't I, I haven't watched the local news in over 10 years. I, I just had a meeting yesterday with a, a city government. You're, you'll get a kick out of this. So we're in this meeting and they're talking about their – they're a big 25-year MBA marketing specialty person, and I'm brought in for just to be a fly on the wall, basically. And so they, they asked for my opinion, and I look at them, and I said, well, I'm 44 years old, and I haven't had a TV in over 10 years. It's been 12 years. I have not watched the local news. Um, I go, I produce a lot of news myself, so I don't read a lot of other people's news. I go, honestly. So, and then they're, they, because they were talking about different avenues of trying to reach, you know, residents and things like that. And I looked at them and I said, I think there's more of me being born every day than the other people, you know, people that are not watching the local news and et cetera. So when I see that some of the local coverage on this, that's what I'm wondering is like, I didn't even know it was still going on. Like I didn't even know there was still a debate because, you know, I've talked to you, I've talked to the health department, I've talked to the, um, zoning people. I've talked to Billings County commissioners. I've talked to local residents and everybody seems to be moving ahead. And then all of a sudden you get someone in South Carolina that's got a problem and we got to do something about it. Are you guys just about fed up or what? <laughs> I guess is probably my question. Um, anyway. Well, you know, we get these stories once in a while and, you know, people are out there looking for things to report about and so when somebody files another appeal or something like that or expresses a concern, uh, people are people know that there's an interest in hearing about the Davis Refinery, so you'll get a story. Um, I kind of look at it as an opportunity to tell our side again. Uh, so, yeah, I, I get kind of tired of going over the same points all the time, uh, especially <laughs> when it's, you know, it, it, like a this recent appeal on the air quality permit, um, you know, we get frustrated by that. And I just wonder why, you know, the same set of facts needs to be looked at over and over and over again. But again, you know, it's another opportunity for us to brag about how clean this refinery is. Uh, it just recently came up that, you know, somebody was very concerned about air pollution at, at the park. And, you know, I've, Nobody paid attention when we brought this up the first time a couple of years ago, but it's very simple to run the numbers and determine that air pollution from the, you know, 700,000 or so cars that visit the TR National Park every year, that air pollution is by far greater than the air pollution that will be caused by the refinery. Um, People are astonished to hear that, but it, it gives us an opportunity to put it in perspective that, yes, this is a brand new kind of refinery, and it does not emit even one-tenth of the emissions of any other refinery in the country on a per-barrel capacity basis. Um, 
it's more like the amount of pollution from uh, seven or eight uh, uh, pump jacks out in the oil field. Uh, it's just a very clean plant, and uh, we can prove that it's that clean. I'll tell you, uh, I think the oil and gas is in a very unique position right now in, in, in the timeline of everything because— you know, I'll, I'll be honest, the oil and gas industry has been in a tough position because they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. They're one of the kings of the economy. And so the big guy always gets picked on if they're trying to do good or whatever. And so um, the way the <clears throat> the way environmentalism has gone, the, the, the drive behind it is I feel so confident in saying it's now gotten to a religious status to where... You have enough people blindly following it without really giving any depth of thought behind it to where you actually at that. Remember the Dapple protest? There was rubber bullets fired and the um, the old veterans got on the other side. So you got, you know, m military type environments. So the, the, the holy war drums are beaten type thing. So when I look at it, though, the reason I say it's become like a blind a blind type following is a lot of these protesters are not actually trying to help the planet they're just pointing fingers and <clears throat> pointing at problems and you know drinking keurig coffees and texting on their iphones and driving their electric cars electric cars are powered by coal iphones take about 28 rare minerals that you know that mining on the earth is not you know that type of thing so the whole new wave of environmentalism is based on just ridiculous in my opinion, to where I think the oil and gas industry has a great opportunity right now to say, we're the only ones saving the planet. We're the only ones trying to help the planet because everyone else is just pointing fingers and not doing anything about it. So I, I, I like, I love what you guys are doing because this is one of those examples of here's the oil and gas industry truly saving the planet. Because you know as well as I do, what's going to happen is this is going to have a reverse ripple effect and you're going to see a lot of refineries over time, say over the next 10 years, implementing roots and seeds of your guys' technology into their plants. Am, am I out of line for saying that? Or is that kind of what you see? You've been in this business a long time, and they constantly seem about self-correction in my mind. Well, you know, I, yeah, I've been in the energy business my entire career, and I've not always been proud of the facilities I've worked on. And that was part of what I wanted to accomplish here at Meridian and, and the rest of my colleagues here. We want to do this in, in the right way. And, and we consider ourselves uh, missionaries, if you will, that you can take the, the uh, conventional energy business and make it green. Um, you know, it's one thing to be in here swinging and trying to make things happen that are that are going to clean things up and it'd be nice to get some advice and help once in a while. And then like you point out, you know, you get a lot of people that observe what we're doing and then jump in their SUV to drive to a meeting to call us a bunch of criminals for building a refinery. Um, you know, it just, it, it lacks credibility. And I think a lot of the people that we are hearing from as opponents are somewhat hypocritical. It's been my view looking at what we're going to do to change this industry, that if you are an environmentalist and you do not support this refinery, you're a hypocrite. Uh, we're going to be making it necessary by, by building this plant 
and putting it into operation. We change the definition of what best available control technology is. And we make it absolutely necessary for every other refiner in the business to gradually come over and, and do things our way as they modify and upgrade their plants. Um, it also raises the bar for any brand new refineries, whether we build them or not. Uh, if we build them, I mean, you know, Davis is going to be the cleanest on the planet when it's built. Uh, Walton Station down in Texas is going to come online about a year or so after Davis. At the time it comes online, it'll probably be a little bit cleaner because we'll have learned things too. But everything is going to get cleaner. And conventional oil and gas can and will now start to clean up its act. And it's going to make the planet a much better place without, as you point out, uh, opening up the earth and ripping out all these rare earth elements that have to go into batteries and doing all kinds of things that are considered unsightly. You know, I, I'm a, a rock climber. I, I consider myself an environmentalist. I'd love to get out into the backcountry and, you know, if I ever had a chance to do so again, it'll be long enough that I can forget uh, what English even sounds like if I, if I have my, my druthers. But, you know, there are vast areas of the California desert now that are covered with uh, solar panels. Uh, you know, a million dollars invested in Davis will reduce greenhouse gases by several multiples over and above what that same investment in solar or wind would accomplish. That's the part that I just can. don't. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say you can make tremendous strides in cleaning things up with conventional oil and gas. That's what I was. I was going to kind of piggyback off that a little bit and say I'm surprised you haven't actually had some environmental groups coming out and saying this is what we need to do instead of just blindly saying you know we should get rid of fossil fuels. That's because that's that's that that's the argument nowadays is they start with let's get rid of fossil fuels and they don't even look at what actually is being done. And I feel very confident saying that because they're doing they're trying to eliminate it in Colorado. They're they're doing the same exact thing that California did with the smoking ban and North Dakota did with the smoking ban where you use health and safety and a certain amount of feet from public safety and children and then you just eliminate the marketplace. And they did in North Dakota by saying you couldn't smoke within 50 feet. And California, at least you can go outside. But it was early on, and that was kind of the template for the whole, you know, public health thing. And now I'm starting to see that in Colorado a little bit. So when if people listening think that, you know, Mr. Prentice and, myself are, and myself are a little bit of chicken little here, I don't think so. I, I actually think now's the time when the energy industry needs to step up like you're doing and like Colorado Strong is doing. And that's kind of a non-traditional role for the oil and gas. Do you know what I mean by that? Where they have never been comfortable kind of standing up for themselves because they were always just so powerful. You know, they're always just considered one of the big dogs, so to speak. But right now, there's a legitimacy behind it. There really is um, to where they're, like I said, they're trying to ban it in Colorado, essentially. So uh, anyway... There we go. We a little sidebar topic here today. <laughs> See, but you're right. I mean, everybody since John D. <clears throat> Rockefeller, you know, uh, faced the breakup of Standard Oil, the industry has been afraid to stand up for itself as, as you know, uh, withstanding all these robber baron kind of arguments. And we just have to get over that. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think so too. Nothing to be ashamed of, you know. 
That's why I, I, I love saying it. I, I, I love this angle of that the oil and gas industry is the only one trying to save the planet right now. And you know me, we don't get into politics here. So for me to say that, I got to really believe it. And I do. I really believe that, especially after the DAPL pipeline protest. I tried to have three protesters on my program because I wanted to legitimately hear their side of the argument. I could not air the interviews because they were so, they were so just, we, we, we do legitimate interviews here. We don't just put people on because they, you know, it's, it's, they got a week off of work. We don't do that. I mean, it was just so. Anyway, uh, let's just kind of uh, reset a little bit here. By the way, William Prentice, CEO of Meridian Energy Group. What we what we were originally talking about was the Davis Refinery and some of the hurdles they've encountered, and that's where we sidebarred a little bit to some of the um, extremism that's uh, bled into the uh, what originally had legitimate environmental concerns with reclamation and some of the things the industry took took uh, major strides in. That was the history part that you were talking about before. And where we're at now is a different ballgame. And let's let's go through a little micro timeline, if you wouldn't mind, at the Bakken out there with the Davis Refinery. You mentioned the Walton down the Permian probably is going to come on a year or two after the, the Davis Refinery. And are we looking at, I mean, I know, I think we broke ground already, but are we going to look at some footings and things this year? Give me a little micro timeline. Well, the, you know, the one major issue with regard to Davis is weather, of course. So, you know, what we're doing is, is trying to weatherproof the construction schedule. And that means uh, that, you know, we're adopting a fairly comprehensive modular approach to construction. Um, that means we're probably not going to see a lot of activity this early this summer. Uh, we'll be back in the field finishing up, you know, the, the grading and so forth for foundations uh, as we get into uh, the middle of the summer. But most of the emphasis is going to be on uh, welding steel in shops all over the country and getting modules ready to ship up, you know, starting, uh, uh, well, you know, towards the end of summer this, com- this uh, coming year. And then uh, the heaviest construction activity will be during the summer of 2020. And the reason for that is, you know, we'll just, um, I just don't want guys out, um, you know, essentially trying to kill themselves by building uh, stuff and, you know, working with cranes in 70 below with wind chill. And, and when the wind comes up, it's just not safe. So we're, we're kind of erring on the side of safety here. And again, I've, I've built, uh, stuff all over the world, and uh, up including North Slope and in Valdez, uh, Alaska. And weather conditions are more severe in North Dakota than they are on the North Slope. Um, so we have to plan around that, and that means that we're probably not doing a lot of what will be visible in the field till uh, about a year from now, when modules will start to arrive on site. But until then, you know, we'll be We'll be working around on the project and getting foundations ready. Um, you know, again, weather is everybody's big concern as you start to spend a lot of money on the project. So we'll, we'll work with that. I just talked uh, to somebody today on their way to Williston, and they got a heads up that good luck getting onto the well sites. It's pretty muddy out there. So, I mean, just to emphasize what you're talking about, it's it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's something we got to be careful of, too. Uh, the roads uh, can't handle a lot of this heavy equipment. 
uh, right after the thaw. Um, I mean, one of the biggest problems we heard about during the uh, the permitting process at the county was that during the construction of the uh, some of the rail terminals and a couple of the gas plants, those guys didn't do a very good job of, uh, of managing the damage to the roads. And, you know, that area is not real heavily populated, but when people drive around, they don't want to be running through three-foot ruts in the road from moving a crane around. So uh, we have to be careful there, and that means that we are probably going to limit our our uh, construction window appreciably here this coming year because we have to improve some of the local highways before we can move equipment in. That's part of our deal with the county. Um, but, yeah, I, I would much rather be able to get everything out there and start building immediately, but we, we have to take a staged approach here because of the weather issues. Wrapping up, any final thoughts? William Prentice, CEO of Meridian Energy Group. I'd like to give guests, of course, the final thoughts. That's why the question isn't framed by me at all. Anything we missed? Anything you want to reiterate? Or just any nice, you know, barbecue recipe you might want to disclose? I don't know. That's why I give people the floor. They can kind of go whatever direction they want. So the floor is yours, sir. Well, you know, I, I appreciate that. And I think I say this almost every time, but, you know, Big things have small beginnings, and uh, this whole concept of a clean refinery began in North Dakota. We're very proud of what we've done so far. I can't wait to get this thing built and in operation, and it, it is going to change the industry. It started right there in Belfield. 